0: At this time of year, kids all over, over, they're trying desperately to behave. They're trying to be more polite, keep their rooms clean, do their chores, complete their homework. And I think we all know why, don't we? Because, of course, Christmas morning is coming and these kids have been all told that if you're good, then you'll be on the nice list and you get lots of presents. But if you're bold then you'll end up on that naughty list. And you get a lump of coal or something like that. Christmas, for many kids, is when good kids get rewarded and bad kids suffer the consequences of their choices. So, good kids get everything, bad kids get nothing. But it's not just kids who believe that this is how the world should work. There are lots of people who think that. Even some Christians who claim that this is how God works in this world. Get your life in order. Follow God's will for your life. Tithe your money to your church faithfully. Keep trusting in the Lord. And He will make sure that good things come your way. Like... Healthy bodies, and healthy relationships, and healthy bank balances. But is this really how our world works? Do we live in a world where good people are blessed and bad people suffer? Well, the author of Psalm 73 didn't think so. And it shook the foundation of his faith. Until he was able to see things from God's perspective. So we're going to read this quite amazing psalm eh, this morning. Right right through, I know it's quite a long psalm, but we're going to read it through. eh, Psalm 73, verse 1, eh, down to the end. And we're going to try and understand what this man was thinking about. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceit of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said this, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely, you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord My refuge, I will tell of all your deeds. The writer of the psalm uh, was a guy called Asaph. He was a Levite, a musician, appointed by David to serve in the tabernacle. Today, I guess, what we would call him would be, we would call him a worship leader. So Asaph was a guy who knew God. He knew the truth about God. As he declared right at the start of this psalm, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph knew that God is good, that he is holy and just and loving and gracious. And so he believed That those who belong to God, those who are pure in heart, those who follow God's ways and trust in his power and serve in his kingdom, those people will be blessed by God. And this matches what we've already seen in the Psalms. For example, maybe you remember back when we looked at Psalm 24. Where David asked, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can approach God's presence? David answered his own question. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. He will receive a blessing from the Lord. And Jesus obviously agreed. In his Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So Asaph got it right. God is good to his people. God does bless those who are committed to him. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then we are blessed. But there was a problem. And the problem was that as Asaph looked around, he couldn't see this. And it nearly cost him to lose his faith. Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw The prosperity of the wicked. Asaph knew that God was good to his people. He believed that God blessed those who trusted in him. But when he looked around, he didn't see the righteous being blessed. Instead, what he saw was the wicked prospering. And then the next section of the psalm, Asaph describes some of the evil attitudes and behaviour of these wicked people. He described them in their wickedness. So verse 6, they are arrogant and proud. Pride is their necklace, he said. Then in verse 6 again, they are aggressive and cruel in their treatment of others. Because Asaph said, they clothe themselves with violence. And they're always imagining and doing things that are against God's ways. So he says in verse 7, From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceit of their minds knows no limits. And their mouths are full of hatred and ridicule and the domination of others. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. That's verse 8. And then verse 9, they're filled with so much selfishness and their own self, sense of self-importance that they claim the right to own everything in the universe. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They just think everything belongs to them. And they think they're going to get away with it all. Because God, they think, doesn't see or know what they do. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? So that's what the wicked are like. Proud, arrogant, cruel, aggressive, always imagining evil, mouths full of hatred and scoffing people and ridiculing people. And they think that everything belongs to them. And are quite happy to grab it all. And yet, despite all of the evil things that they do and think and say, the wicked in this world look like they're having it really easy. They don't seem to be having the same difficulty with illness and weakness that others do. So, verse 4 they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They don't have the same loads to carry with the same level of work to do or suffering to bear. Verse 5, they are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills, And they seem to be always popular. Surrounded by friends enjoying their plentiful supply. Verse 10, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And so they seem to have it really easy. A life free from problems and full of prosperity. Verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. And I think that it doesn't take too much effort for us for us to see people around us it seemed to be just like that. We could think of dictators in the world who live in luxurious palaces while their people starve on the street. Or we could think of criminals who get rich despite causing hardship to others. Or we could think of celebrities who live in luxury paid for through their immoral lifestyles. Maybe even closer to home, we could think of maybe a work colleague who always gets the promotion because he's willing to do whatever the boss asks, whether it's legal or ethical. Or even closer, maybe our neighbours or our friends or even our family who seem to live an easy life despite having no faith in Christ. I think the list could just go on and on and on. Like Asaph, we can all see wicked people prosper in this world. And to make matters worse, Asaph, like many of God's people, was suffering. Verse 14, all day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Now we don't know what was going on with Asaph. Maybe it was a suffer- he was suffering an illness, or a chronic affliction, or something like that. But whatever it was, he just felt he was being punished all the time for something. Even though he was trying to seek to, to live faithfully for God. It just seemed that one thing after another was, was beating him up. And again, this matches with what we see around us, doesn't it? All over this world, God's people are suffering in illness and disease, in persecution and oppression, in poverty and deprivation. And their faithfulness to God doesn't prevent the suffering that they're experiencing. Their their faithfulness to God doesn't wrap them up in bubble wrap and protect them from all of those hurts. Last week I was listening to a podcast about the remarkable life of a, of a woman called Helen Rosevear. She served in the Congo as a medical missionary for 20 years. She accomplished amazing things. Establishing hospital training centres and sharing the message of Jesus. And then in her latter years, she continued to serve the Lord, writing books and travelling around the world teaching God's Word. But her life, when you listen to her story, it was far from easy. This woman longed to be married. But she gave up that chance in order to follow God's call in her life. She experienced numerous bouts of illness. Lots of those tropical diseases. Then she struggled with depression and doubts. And then during the Civil War in 1964 she was imprisoned by rebel soldiers who then viciously beat her and raped her twice. And then after her release from that, she returned to her mission work in the Congo. And by this time, her work was full of disappointment and turmoil as she was mistrusted by the ones that she'd come to serve. Eventually, she left Africa feeling defeated. And then later on, when she was serving God, faithfully, touring around, teaching God's word, she heard that her mother, who she was looking after back home, had passed away when she wasn't there. And then on that same tour, she then was diagnosed with breast cancer. One thing after another, after another, after another. We need to face up to this reality in this world. That God's people suffer. As Paul and Barnabas said to the early Christians, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So here was Asaph's problem. He knew that God is good to his people. And yet, from everything he saw, it looked like it was the wicked who was prospering. And the righteous were suffering in this world. And so he began to question in his mind, is it worth it? Is following God worth it? It's kind of the challenge between the theory and the practice of faith. Between what we know is true and what we see all around us in our lives. If these two things don't kind of match up, well, what do we do with that? Well, I think some people just try and hide from that reality. Hide from the problems. Put on those blinkers. Stick their head in the sand. Hopefully, that these things will just go away. And they won't need to think about it. They won't need to try and deal with this problem. Other people, well, they just stand and just talk about this problem all the time with anybody that they can see. Just go around, just spreading this problem without any solution to it. No matter whose faith they might stumble in the process. But Asaph did neither. Asaph didn't hide from his struggles. He was was honest and open enough to face up to this issue and even voice his complaint. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. He thought. I've been serving God all the time and what have I got to show for it? But he didn't voice this complaint to everybody. Because he knew because of his his responsible situation, his position in that community of faith, he knew that he could stumble other people. So he said in verse 15, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. (coughs) He knew that he just couldn't stand up as the worship leader and just spill all of this out. Because other people would have been stumbled. So Asaph didn't keep silent and he didn't tell everybody. Neither did he just try and sort it all out himself. You know, just work it all out in his head. Instead, he went to God with his problem. Look at verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Asaph struggled with this problem until he went to God. And then he saw this issue from God's perspective. And I think that's a really useful model for us to follow. We really shouldn't try and hide from doubts and struggles. If we just try and cover them up, then they're just going to fester away. They're just going to get bigger and bigger and more problematic in our lives. So please don't just try and run from them. Neither should we just go around and broadcast them to anybody and everybody. Because if we do that, we may stumble the faith of other people. But instead we need to bring them into God's presence. And we need to let God deal with them. Through the revelation of His truth. This is what Peter wrote. Cast all your anxiety on Him. Because He cares for you. Bring our problems to God. Yes, we can do that with other people, with, with trusted advisors or counselors, we can come, but we need to bring our problems to God. Because God has an answer. So what was the answer? What was the new perspective that Asaph got to answer this problem of the prosperity of the wicked? Well, it's because he realized that he'd been looking at it from just a short-term viewpoint. Yes, the wicked seemed to be doing well. Yes, they were living in prosperity and ease. But it wasn't the end of the story. Surely, you place them on slippery ground. Verse 18, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. Completely swept away by terror. That's the final destiny of the wicked. In the end, everything that they have, everything they are, will be destroyed. God's judgment is coming. And they will will face the full terror of God's wrath. John described his vision of that great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. From that perspective, from that revelation of the future, are we tempted to envy the wicked? Well, not at all. Not at all. Of course, neither should we triumphantly kind of ridicule them. Instead, that should break our hearts with compassion for them. And so we shouldn't envy them. We should be concerned for them. And be motivated to go with the gospel to them. And plead with them to believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. So from the perspective of eternity, from God's perspective, the wicked have nothing. Nothing. But in contrast, the righteous, they have everything. Look at verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me. By my right hand. The wicked, they have the popularity of the world. But the righteous, they have the comforting presence of the Lord. Then verse 24, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you take me into glory. The wicked, they are, what they face, coming destruction. But the righteous have the secure prospect of being with the Lord forever. In verse 26 My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The righteous may have bodies that are healthy and strong but the righteous have the enduring provision of God's help in their lives. And the the wicked may be temporarily rich the treasure of this world but the righteous have priceless spiritual possessions especially the greatest treasure of all the treasure of knowing God whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire but you and all of this is true for each and every one of us who have trusted in Jesus today. Yet, yeah, on the surface, compared to other people, we may not look like we have as much. We may be going through a real time of intense suffering and loss. And I certainly would never like to, to give you the impression I'm trying to minimise what you're going through. And yet the spiritual reality is, that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Even although we deserve the destiny of the wicked, even although we, by right, should have to face that judgment that all of those people will have to face, and yet because of the cross, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, We have His comforting presence in our lives. We have this secure prospect to look forward to. We have the enduring provision of the Lord to depend on. And we have this priceless possession to rejoice in. And it's that understanding, folks, that can help us to keep going. Despite the struggles that we face in life. In this world, evil people may indeed prosper. And good people may indeed have to suffer. And yet Asaph could conclude in verse 27 and 28. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Following Jesus can be tough. It might include ridicule and rejection and persecution. It doesn't guarantee protection from all of the different sufferings that people have in this life. From a short-term perspective, some people might even question, is it really worth it? But from Eternity's point of view, from God's perspective, it's not even in doubt. Those who reject Jesus are tragically lost forever. But for us who have faith in Jesus, we have his wonderful presence now and the guarantee of being with him in heaven forever. From that perspective, from the true perspective, following Jesus is worth it all. Just let me finish with what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 to 18 as he expressed that reality in his life. This is what he said. Therefore, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away Yeah.